As we come into another year and we think about um, how things are so transitory and constantly shifting, we have to have anchors that are always true, that we can moor our lives to, something that is always dependable and steadfast. And for us as Christians, we say unequivocally, one of these anchors is the Bible. But why is that? Are we just committed to the Bible because it's a, uh, an interesting ancient sacred book of religious writings? Are we just committed to the Bible because it contains truth statements that if we apply them to our life, life seems to go better? Are we just committed to the Bible because it's tradition and it's what we're used to and what we've inherited and what we pass along to others? No, those things may be true, but we are committed to the Bible because of who is speaking through the Bible. It's not the book we're committed to, it's God we're committed to. This book in this form has only existed for the, in, 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 in the last four or five hundred years after the printing press was invented. Before that, it didn't, in, uh, it didn't exist in this form that was translated into the common language where everyone could have access to it. And we're still in the process of translating it into all the languages of the world to get to all the people of the world so they can hear and know and believe in who Jesus is. It's not even completely translated to all the people groups. Before that, it existed in scroll form. Before that, it, it was passed along with, with oral, oral traditions. It wasn't accessible in a written form to everyone, just uh, the religious leaders. So we're not committed to a book. We're committed to the God who has chosen to speak to us through his word that's been recorded, that's been preserved, that's been translated. And so that what we hold today, we can have great confidence that this is the very word of God that he originally recorded and intended for us to have forever. And it's always been true that God speaks and we respond to his word and we engage him in his word as his people. This is essential to who we are. A church without a high view of scripture may not actually be a church. It might just be a religious club. Let's begin our journey today in Matthew 5, verse 18, where Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a new year of life. You have created us in your image you have sustained us to where we would see with our eyes the year 2022. And only you know what this year holds for us as individuals, as families, and as a church. But we enter a new year with expectation that you are alive and well. And what we will face this year does not have you pacing the floors of heaven or worried or anxious. And so we enter a new year with hope with peace, with rest, with confidence, because we are, we are tying all of those things to who you are and what you desire to accomplish in our lives and through our lives. And Father, we thank you that a big part of that is your word. We thank you that we still have your word. We have access to it like never before. We can read it, we can watch it, we can listen to it. It's all available to us. And so we want to be a people who are hungry for your word. So teach us today, instruct us today, 
Open our minds and hearts to what you have for us today so that we can continue to be your people. Loving you and sharing your love with others. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will we be captivated by what our culture deems as important in the moment, knowing that it's going to change quickly? Or by God's grace, will we be captivated by what is eternal and deep and actually beyond our ability to fully consume in this lifetime? Like you never mine all the depths of the scriptures in one lifetime. It's impossible. But I pray for us and that we will be captivated by what he loved and what he thought was important and valuable and of greatest consequence and treasure. And our hearts would be so captivated by that, our relationship with God's word would naturally flow out of our love and desire for Jesus so that more and more our time in the word wouldn't be a chore, but would be something we cherish, something we look forward to and anticipate we would actually be more excited about time in the Word than we are the newest show to drop on whatever streaming service that you subscribe to. If we're going to be a people deeply rooted in what matters most in this constantly shifting culture, if we're going to be a people who value what is eternal more than what is trending, if we're going to be a people who can be a rock and a lighthouse, a place of stability, a, place, a people who are constant, dependable, reliable, so that when other people we are in life with are unsure where to turn, we're ready. We can tell you, this is the rock for life. We will be made to feel, year by year in the American culture, that the future of humanity rests on the next election. Whoever's in whatever office or our governorship or White House or whatever, that person has to be this person or the world's just going to burn down into a fiery heap. We know while those things are important, they're not close to being true. So we don't have to freak out like everybody else does. We don't have to fall apart. We can be an oasis of stability as a church for our culture because we are anchored to God's timeless eternal word. Jesus, in this passage, was facing some people who may have accused him of altering or dismissing the importance of God's word, the scriptures, during his early ministry. And he responded in this passage with a strong declaration in verse 18 of what has always been true about God, his word, and his people. Now, to give you a little bit of context, the passage occurs in the opening section of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the longest consecutive teaching recorded of Jesus at one time to a group of people, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is at the very beginning of his ministry. Basically, this sermon explains what life for a citizen of his kingdom is going to look like. This is who we are. This is how we'll live. And he began with the well-known Beatitudes, which describe the character of a follower of Jesus and declares them to be blessed by God. So God's people are those who are humble and lowly in spirit. God's people are those who mourn over their sins, who are meek. In other words, they're strong, but they're under the control of their king. We are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. We're so much like Jesus that we'll be persecuted like he was. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world like a city on a hill shining in darkness. And then in verse 17, he sets up the entire rest of the sermon. Verse 17, he says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I'm about to teach you some things 
That may seem like I'm dismissing the Old Testament. But he's saying, I'm not giving you a new law, but I'm taking the law you've already been given and I'm deepening it. I'm going to give you its intended meaning. For example, later in chapter 5, the law says don't murder, but I'm telling you, you can hate someone in your heart so much that in God's eyes, you're just as guilty of committing murder because your hatred is so great, all you lack is the opportunity and not getting caught or you probably would wipe them out. What had developed among the Jews was a group of religious people who were highly esteemed for how they outwardly obeyed the law. They were respected and considered the best of God's people. But Jesus says in verse 20, and he reveals to the rest of the sermon, that the righteousness of the Pharisees is only skin deep. (coughs) It doesn't flow from a transformed heart. And that to be a citizen in God's kingdom means you have to have an inner righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and the scribes. But this deeper, more more thorough view of the law in the Old Testament isn't dismissing the Old Testament, but it's actually valuing it and helping us see the heart behind the law and God's Word. What God is after is a transformed people, which comes through being a people who value and obey God's Word. So see that again in verse 18. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter nor one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus emphasizes the permanence of the law or Old Testament in verse 18. It begins by saying, for truly I tell you. Now, it's hard to see this in English, but literally in the original language of the New Testament, it reads, truly, truly. Or literally in Greek, the word amen, 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 amen. Which means, let this be true, let this be true. Which is why it's okay to amen people who are preaching, because you're saying out loud, yes, I want that to be true. Yes, I want that to be true. Amen. There there you go. What is unique about this, about Jesus saying this, is no other Jewish rabbi spoke like this. Jewish rabbis of his day would only quote other rabbis. Rabbi so-and-so says this, rabbi so-and-so says that. Even the Old Testament prophets wouldn't speak like this. They would say, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus says, truly, I am saying to you. Pay attention to this. Throughout the sermon, Jesus asserts this kind of authority rooted in himself, not not from someone else. You've heard that it was said in the Old Testament, but I say to you, he says repeatedly in chapter 5, six times, This is a jaw-dropping assertion of authority equal to the Old Testament, which is why the sermon ends at the end of chapter 7 with the people marveling in response. We have never heard anyone teach with this kind of authority. And then he says here in verse 18, until heaven and earth pass away, the law will remain until all is accomplished. Those two phrases, until heaven and earth pass away and until all is accomplished, are like bookends. Different ways of saying the same thing. Heaven and earth are expression of all creation, not not the heaven where we'll be in eternity, but the heavens as in the sky, space above us. Basically, Jesus is saying, until all the created order passes away, until the end of time, His word will remain. In fact, He says later in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, so that His word will even outlast creation. 
But then he adds this fascinating detail. He didn't just say the law or the Old Testament. He says not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a letter will pass from the law. <coughs> the King James famously says not a jot or a tittle. The ESV says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now the iota was the smallest letter in Greek. The corresponding smallest letter in the Hebrew is called the yod. The yod is uh, the smallest letter in the Hebrew. It looks like a backward R that was written like a, a superscript up high. It would be like the lowercase i or the lowercase l in English, just a barely a pen mark. And he says, that's not disappearing from the law, not the least stroke of a pen. So for us in English, the least stroke of the pen, that might be like the difference between a capital E and a capital F. Just one little mark. One little mark changes ear to far. It's that significant, that small stroke of the pen that makes a big difference. And this is the kind of assurance Jesus is giving us about the sufficiency and the, the lasting ability of God's Word. You see this incredible confidence in the Old Testament written into the story of the New Testament. All through the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, John, Peter, whoever, uh, so many times they would defend the faith or establish the faith and do so by saying, for it is written. For it is written. Now that was a reference to the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written as they were speaking. And when they quote the Old Testament with total confidence that it was and is God's Word. And their confidence extended down to the very letter, not just the very letter, but the smallest stroke of the letter. Like us having so much confidence in us dotting our I's or crossing our T's. There's a phrase that we use to describe this level of confidence in the Bible and theology. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. The Bible is inspired, so not like you and I, we get inspired and we paint something or we write a song or we cook something or create something beautiful, do something with wood. Not inspired like that, but inspired in the sense of 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. That word in the Greek New Testament literally inspired is God-breathed, theonoustos, theos, God, noustos, breath, spirit, wind. So it is literally breathed out of God, the Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out of God because it comes from God. All Scripture has the same character and nature of God. It is plenary, which simply means all of it. So all Scripture is inspired. That's the only downside to the, the Bibles with the red words. It seems to elevate the words of Jesus in His incarnational ministry. All of Scripture has the same value. It's all inspired, comes from God. And it's verbal. It's the actual words. It's not just the thoughts and ideas breathed out by God, but the actual words. So when we study the Bible, we're studying actual words and sentences and paragraphs to grasp the thoughts that God intends for us to have. That's how we communicate. And God chose, the God of the universe, chose to communicate to us in our language with our grammatical rules so that we could fully understand Him, who He is. And Jesus says, down to the even, the, even the smallest stroke of the pen, the smallest letter, the Scriptures are so permanent that until the end of creation they will remain. So much for throwing out the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. We don't do that. Because it's just as important as the New Testament. Not only in the sense that it's going to remain, that they cannot be destroyed, 
and that's been tried, by the way. Friedrich Nietzsche is probably the most famous example. German philosopher from the 1800s. His philosophies helped fuel Nazism, communism. He said, in the 18, he said in 100 years, in his lifetime, he said in 100 years the Bible would be gone and no one would believe it. Yet after his death, his house was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society and they began to print and distribute the Bible from his house. Perfect. It's perfect. So it's not only that man cannot get rid of it physically, but it also means they are still in effect. The scriptures are still to be obeyed and followed, as you see in verse 19, where he says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Which is why Jesus would say in uh, the Great Commission, just before he ascends into heaven, our life is to be about this until Christ returns or until we die. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. John Wesley was known for praying, Homo unius libri. He would be a man of one book. We are to be a people of one book. No other book has the value, the allegiance, the importance that this book has because of what it is and who is made known to us through the Scriptures, not just because it's a special book. God has always made Himself known to us through His Word. Go back to creation. There was nothing until God spoke. God spoke everything into existence with the power of His Word. God speaks to a man named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob throughout the book of Genesis, calling to himself a people to be his people through whom all the nations will be blessed. God's people in slavery in Exodus and calling out for deliverer, and God needs Moses to go and lead them out of Egypt. What does he do? He appears to him as a flame in a bush that was not consumed by the flame, and he does what to Moses? Speaks to Moses. Reveals himself, and then sends him. God speaks or sends angels, otherwise known as messengers, to various leaders throughout the book of Judges until he calls a young boy in 1 Samuel to be this new kind of servant called a prophet. And the old priest Eli tells young Samuel to say what to God? Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. These prophets would flavor the rest of the history of the nation of Israel known for their, their pronouncement, Thus saith the Lord. And then after Malachi, the time period between the Old Testament and New Testament, the intertestinal period is known for the silence of God. God did not speak for those 400 years. He did not send a prophet until an angel appears to Zacharias and spoke to him, you will have a son named John who would do what? Proclaim, speak, prepare the way for the Lord. The Messiah is coming. Jesus the Messiah would come and would be known for His authoritative teaching as much as He was known for His miraculous power. <clears throat> what He said got Him in more trouble than the miracles He accomplished. And then Jesus leaves us with this command to go and speak and proclaim this gospel message, a message made known through languages and words. God's always made himself known through his revealed word to his people, 
so we could respond in faith and obedience and joy and love. And this was all an act of love by God. He is the highest and greatest source of life, joy, hope, love, peace, rest. And he does not remain distant from us or cut off from us, but he chose to make himself known and come near so we could know him. And he chose to do it in a way we could understand and comprehend and experience him and then share him with others. So what we see in this verse and throughout the ministry of Jesus is the great value he placed on the Word of God. In his case, it was the Old Testament. In our case, it's all of Scripture. And all through his life, Jesus relied upon the Old Testament, the Scriptures. He used it, he valued it, he referenced it. When tempted by Satan, Jesus fought back with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and simply quoted the Old Testament three times, even though anything he would have said would have carried the same authority. Jesus quoted the Old Testament 64 times and saw it as authoritative. Jesus affirmed several Old Testament events that some question today if it even happened, like Jonah and the well, Adam and Eve as real individuals and not just symbols of humanity. He affirmed marriage between a man and a woman. He affirmed the Israelites eating manna from heaven. If these things did not happen and, and, and he was in error and Jesus didn't know it that he was in error, then Jesus was not omniscient. If Jesus knew they didn't happen, but passed them off as reality when he knew it was fake, then Jesus was a hypocrite. Either way, he was not God, and our faith is in vain. Or, they really did happen, and Jesus knew they really happened, and proclaimed them as true, and the king in the universe is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and all of this is true. And all of this is true. Until Christ came, the law and the Old Testament scriptures were the most valuable possession given to man by God on earth. It was God's way of knowing him and having a relationship with him and living life on this earth. It contained the Ten Commandments, the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Both of those things are repeated in the New Testament by Jesus as the greatest commandments. And they came from the Old Testament. We then today value the Scriptures like they valued the law. Psalm 19.10 More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119.14 and 16 In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. If we're going to build our lives on this book because it is the revelation of the one most high God, it begins with how much we value his word. If I told you a year from today, January 2nd, 2023, I'm going to come back to this church I'm going to give you $1,000 for every chapter of the Bible you read this year. How much of the Bible would you read in 2022? If you believe I actually had that kind of money, and I would actually do that. Let's just assume. How much of the Bible would you read if someone was going to pay you $1,000 for every chapter of the Bible? So it's really not, I don't really like to read. Someone's going to pay you $1,000 for every chapter of the Bible you read? Listen to it, it doesn't matter, either one. It's really not, I don't really have the time. It, it's really, 
how much do you value it? How much do we value it? We have the time. We have the access. We have the ability. Do we have the value? Do we love it? Do we love him? Do you see the word as essential or optional? Do we see the word as a treasure or a chore? Does the word feed our deepest places of our soul? Does the word satisfy the greatest longings of the heart? Does the word satisfy our soul even more than food satisfies our body? This is what God intended through his word because the written word connects us to the living word that is Christ. You see this clearly in a passage like 1 Peter 1, verses 23 through 25, where Peter writes, Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is, Peter says, the gospel that was proclaimed to you. It is by his word we have been born again. It is by his word we continue to live. Hebrews 1 opens up by talking about God has spoken to us in former days in these ways through prophets in Old Testament. Now he speaks to us through his son. And his son is the one through whom all things are created. And by his word, all things are sustained. We are alive today because God's word sustains us. Is this a value that we have for his word? If you do, fantastic. It's evidence that the life of Christ is in you. You love and value what he loves and values. And by his grace and by his gospel, Jesus lives inside of you. And Jesus is shaping your heart and shaping your desires. If you don't value his word this morning in these ways, guess what? Good news, you can. Because he is here and he is alive. And he can radically reshape your heart to love what he loves and desire what he desires. You don't have to leave here in shame and condemnation. You can simply say, Jesus... I fail so much, I did terrible in 2021, but you live inside of me, or you need to live inside of me, so come and help me to love what you love and value what you value. And what will be true in you will be what has always been true of God's people. They love and value the Word of God because it connects you to God. And even when we go through seasons of dryness or seasons where we're distant from the Word, there's always this longing to return. And when you return, it is like sitting down with an old friend. You pick up right where you left off. So as we value the word, as Jesus and God's people have always valued the word, then simply, how do you connect with God through his word? What does it look like to make space to love and enjoy God through his word? Now you probably already know about Bible reading plans. You can Google Bible reading plans and they'll pop up all over your computer. I'm sure Mike or Ryan or other pastors in the past have shared some with you. But don't just pick a plan for yourself or pick a plan for your family. Share that with others how you plan to walk through the Word in 2022. So they can encourage you. So they can hold you accountable. And as you walk through the Word in 2022, share verses that you've read. Share truths that you've encountered Share fresh insight into the Bible that you haven't had before because the Bible is also alive. 
And this, it's not that the, the Spirit changes the Bible, but the Spirit helps you to see it in fresh ways how it applies to new situations that you're in. Share amazement. Share confusion. Share questions. Share it with others in community. Let's be a people who, yes, we talk about football and we talk about food and the newest show to drop on the newest streaming app. But even more, we enjoy and we discuss how God is speaking to us. The new Spider-Man movie is amazing and we should enjoy it. But God speaking to his people is actually more amazing than even that. And remember, the goal this year is not to complete the plan. The goal is to know and love God more and more and share his love with others. So let's also crush all spiritual pride for the overachievers who like checking boxes. And they find checking boxes as satisfying to their souls as actually reading and studying and knowing God through his word. Remember, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were admired and known for their knowledge of the Scriptures, but Jesus came along in John chapter 5 and says, Yeah, you know the Scriptures, but you don't know me. I am the one to whom the Scriptures testify about. He is the point of the revelation of the Scriptures. Don't read every chapter and every verse this year and miss Jesus, because then you're just more religious, and that's worse. That's worse. Also, don't retreat into a hole of shame and condemnation when you miss a day or you get behind. God never declared you had to read the whole Bible in a year. You don't have to do that. You just have to engage with Him in His Word in whatever way is best for you and your schedule and your season of life. He just wants you to know Him and be loved by Him, and we do that through His Word. So if you miss a day or if you miss many days, don't go put on your sad pants and disappear into a fog of shame. Just run back to your Father in heaven and sit at His feet and open His Word and enjoy Him again. Pick up right where you left off. How beautiful it will be this year to be the people of Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That the Word of God would flavor our speech, our songs, our interactions with each other even more than what everyone else is telling us is more important or more enjoyable. Jesus, do this in your people because of your great love for us. You desire this for us because you desire for us to know you in deeper, more intimate ways. And even better, you have the power to make it possible in us. So we're not just saying words, wishing and hoping it would come true. We are asking a God who has all the power of the universe to do in us what you most want to do in us. Help us to know you through your words so we can love you and serve you and obey you and make you known to others. So we enter a new year with a fresh love for you and your word, with a fresh expectation that maybe 2022 will be a year that we love your word and we love you like never before. Make it true in all the churches in our area so there is a revival and a refreshing and a reawakening of God's people to God through God's word. For the glory of Christ, do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.